Trivia. Happy Monday. As we get closer to kickoff coming up, less than three weeks as it's Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. I'm David Schumann alongside Dave Harding. We're certainly ready for the Blue Devils opener. That'll be down in Atlanta as they take on Alabama in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Got a great program lined up for you over the next couple of hours. We're going to visit with a bunch of people all across campus as we're coming to you today high atop Wallace Wade Stadium at the tower that overlooks the field below. And Dave, you look down at the field and grass is growing in nicely. Looks like we're just about set for some football. Yeah, it looks good. I, I can't believe they invited us back. David, <laughs> David Glenn, Darren, you, I mean, you guys are, are far too generous, but it's great to be here. And you're right, you can kind of smell that energy in the air. It is about time for football and uh, for somebody to hit someone that's not wearing the same color jersey that you're used to during training camp. So exciting times. Last year, I feel like we bribed Darren with pizza. We did. Yeah. This year, we're not in studio. We do have donuts, though, and, and I'm so me. upset. And, I'm yeah, so upset. We've promised Darren we're going to break them down in depth. Harding's already had a bite of about four. I'm ahead of him. I've had about six or seven. Yeah. We, we got a little donut segment coming up later in the show. You, you have to carb load in fall camp. It's so hot out there. You're right. And, and to get through a three-hour show, I mean, I'm not used <laughs> to that. So, I mean, you've definitely got to get your energy in early. I've already taken a nice bite out of one of these cinnamon roll type things. So, uh, updates coming soon, but a lot of well, anytime you're with us, you're going to talk food, right? Um, we got sports, food. What else is there really to talk about? Yeah, I mean, we're going to take you all across campus. We got Nate James coming up. He's going to talk a little basketball of the national champion. Dan Brooks is going to stop by, talk about his seventh title with the Duke women's golf program. Chris Pollard, a perennial super regional contender now on the baseball side of things. And of course, we are going to talk a lot of football over the course of the next couple of hours. And, and let's start on the football front. The headline for Duke, for those that aren't following maybe as closely as we are, everyone knows Daniel Jones, sixth pick in the NFL draft to the New York Giants. And whenever you lose a quarterback to the NFL draft, Dave, everyone thinks, oh boy, rebuilding year. But that's not necessarily the case. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the mentality of this Duke football program uh, in general because you know, they've got a high standard now to live up to, whether that's with Daniel Jones or without him. With, with Joe Giles-Harris, who also departed early for the NFL, or without him, uh, several key members moving on after last season. And this year, I think the, the leaders, the, the players that remain, the coaches obviously that are still here, have uh, uh, high expectations. And they're looking forward to a, a very challenging season, obviously getting kicked off with Alabama in week one, Notre Dame coming in a little bit later and sprinkling the, the who's who of the ACC in and out there, but still a, a, a high standard to live up to and a lot of preparation taking place with a lot of energy so far through camp that we've been able to see where I expect them to pick up right where they left off. Yeah, the team just wrapped up down below us. Their, I believe their 10th practice of camp as they get ready for the season. You talk about expectations. Uh, a lot of the reason I think those expectations are still so high is because while it is a new quarterback, it's certainly not a new player, the fifth-year senior in Quentin Harris. Yeah, Quentin came in last year, won Duke a few games when Daniel Jones had his collarbone injury, and he's been around the program. You mentioned him being a fifth-year senior. He knows everything about Duke football that you need to know. Uh, he knows all the shortcuts to, to class, and he knows how, where to park, and he knows everybody in the training room and the equipment room. This is a guy that feels very comfortable within the Duke football program, and now you just ask him to do a little bit more – that's starting games. I mean, he was always going into these games of preparation. We talked to him last year when he was asked to fill in for Daniel. Uh, he takes the mindset of 
one one play away, one snap away from being the guy throughout the, his career. Now it's his to begin with, a, a moderate change, but I still think he's attacked it with the same kind of mindset, same type of detail uh, and, and uh, attention that he has over years past. It's just his show now. And, of course, David Cutcliffe is still at the helm. This will be his 12th season at Duke, and I say that because as we kind of pull back and take a look at big picture, obviously Mike Krzyzewski has the five national championships. We just talked about Dan Brooks uh, with his seven uh, perennial contenders all across campus. Uh, from your perspective, obviously you played back here and, and went to that Coastal Division Championship in 2013 uh, with Kevin White, with David Cutcliffe, with a lot of those guys I already mentioned, Chris Pollard. Is this one of, if not the, golden era of Duke Athletics? No, I think so. I mean, first of all, from a facilities standpoint, holy mackerel. I mean, it's beautiful. Yep. Just from this vantage point, looking out here, and you, you still see people doing work on certain buildings, adding things on. Uh, th this is not necessarily the limit of what Duke Athletics will reach from a facility standpoint, but you can't ask for anything better. And then you mix in some of the names that you were just throwing Donowski. out there. Yeah, what they've John Donowski has yep. done a fantastic job. Um, you whether that's the men's sports, women's sports, mm -hmm. uh, all the way down to intramurals and, and the fantastic job that they do in the rec leagues here. Uh, it is about as good as it gets. And you sprinkle that in with some really good academics and a beautiful city and setting, plenty of donut shops that we can go to and try <laughs> out. I mean, it's a great place to be. Um, and the excitement, we talked about how exciting it is for this football team to get ready to go play, but you can feel it around campus and around the athletic campus in particular, um, whether you're talking about football, swimming and diving, fencing, all of them, uh, an exciting time to be a Duke student athlete or associated with the Duke football or Duke athletics program. And as we said, we're just a couple of weeks away, really, if you look at uh, the game between Miami and Florida, less than two weeks away from the start of the college football season. Duke, a little less than three weeks away from the start of their season. So a lot of our focus today is going to be on football, but it is the summer months. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little baseball with Chris Pollard. That's as we continue with Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It's Duke Day. David Shumate and Dave Harding with you here from on campus at Duke University as the Blue Devils on the football side of things get sent to open things up in Atlanta on August 31st, of course, against Alabama. We want to talk a little bit of baseball before we get there. Bring in Chris Pollard, who this spring is going to be heading into year number eight at the helm of the Duke baseball program. And, and each year it feels like they're building upon a, a legacy, I guess is the term, if you want to start looking at it, consecutive years now into the Super Regionals, and uh, Coach, the, the work never stops, right? Back out on the recruiting trail. It's been a busy summer, but it's also been a really productive summer. We've got, I think, a lot of success on the recruiting trail. We've had some terrific camps on campus, and now it's time to get guys back and get back to work. Coach, I, I follow you on in, uh, social media, Twitter in particular, and I was pretty jealous of some of the pictures that you were posting from your vacation out west. Looks like you went to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons, but one of the things I saw was that you may have gotten bucked off a horse. What, what happened there? 
So this is why you guys wanted to have me on. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting right so, into it. Didn't waste any time, did you? <laughs> well, I, I, I asked for the, uh, for, the, for the roughest, toughest horse they had, and, uh, and apparently they gave it to me because uh, <laughs> about three-quarters of the way through the trip, I, uh, I, I looked up and somehow I was on the ground and the horse was eating grass. And not exactly sure if that were was user error or if I just got, uh, you know, the bunk, buck and bronco of uh, trail horses. Well, well, we'll put it on the horse, but uh, I'm glad that you had some time to get away uh, and, and recharge your batteries. How important is that for you and, and, and for your staff? Obviously a long season and uh, they're getting longer, which is obviously a good thing for you guys. But to, to be able to recharge before getting back into the thick of recruiting like you said you are. I think it's critical, Dave. I, and and you mentioned it when you make a deep run in the postseason in baseball, your summer gets that much shorter and that much busier. You know, because for the for the weeks that you're still competing, chasing Omaha, a lot of your programs out there that you compete against, they're they're already on the recruiting trail, and and, and you feel like they're gaining ground on you to a degree. So when we wrapped up in Nashville in the championship game of the Super Regional, it, it really was a blur for the next 40 days trying to trying to catch up. And fortunately, we, we had a lot of positive momentum. A lot of visibility came out of that uh, second Super Regional, and we were able to capitalize on that with the commitment. But when you combine the recruiting with the camp and the fact that you've been going at it really hard since January 1st, uh, it's a long stretch, and it's important to take a, a, a time to hit the reset button with family, and it was great to be able to do that. And our assistant coaches are doing that this week and next week and want guys to be fresh and excited to start the fall with our players. Don't want guys having any sense of burnout or fatigue when we get going here in a couple of weeks. We're visiting with Chris Pollard, the head coach of the Duke baseball program here on the David Glenn Show. It's Duke Day, David Shumate and Dave Harding with you. And, and Coach, want to talk about last year a, a little bit. When, when you think back two years ago to 2018, it feels like it was kind of the year of the first, the first 40-win season, the first Super Regional in program history, 18 conference wins, a, a new program record. A few months removed now, uh, big picture, how would you characterize 2019? So interesting because it was such a different year from 2018. We felt like in 2018 it was something we'd been building towards really since our arrival in Durham. We had a veteran team. We had uh, a team that was really all of our recruits, a, a neat combination of experience on the mound and in the field. And that team was really good wire to wire. I mean, we got off to a, a great start. We were we were in the polls within just a couple of weeks of the regular season starting. Re really, a, a very consistent group until the until the very end. And this year, we had a lot of holes to replace. I think seventy percent of our at bats were gone from eighteen. O over half of our innings pitched were gone from eighteen. So we we knew going in that we were going to, you know, have to juggle the pieces a little bit to, to be able to maintain that level of competitiveness. We felt like we were going to really rely on a couple of key arms, and unfortunately, as, you know, athletics go sometimes, both of those key arms wound up getting injured early in the year. 
so in a lot of ways, 2019 was was really challenging for our coaching staff. And I give so much credit to the job that our coaching staff did of, of kind of holding the ship together there through what seemed like a, an unreasonable amount of injuries that we sustained over the first half of the year. I give a lot of credit to the leadership, our seniors and our leadership council, because they never gave in. We were, you know, you guys remember, we were three and nine at one point in the ACC. And a lot of people wrote us off. And for me, that's what makes 2019 so rewarding and maybe even in some ways more rewarding than 18. We had to, we had to come back from the dead and, we had to do it with some key pieces out for the year. And I, I, that group of guys just showed such a tremendous sense of resiliency. It's a, it's a season I'll always remember. And there can be so many inflection points in a season. I'm, I'm curious for you, uh, my eyes were kind of drawn to that series at Clemson, the, the first sweep there since 1948. Uh, how big of a, a point, as you said, the, the slow start to conference play, you guys had kind of started to turn the corner there. But did it feel like that kind of propelled you guys forward? Well, it, that's, that's the weekend where our guys began to realize, you know what? Hey, we, we still are in this thing. We've still got a chance for an at-large bid. And we, we, had, we had won the two previous weekends. After coming out of the end of March, we left Chapel Hill 3-9, and nine, and then we went 5-1 and one over our next two weekends of ACC play, both at home. No coincidence, we had just gotten Joey LaPerfito, preseason All-American and freshman All-American, back in the lineup. And that really answered a lot of questions and a lot of things that we struggled with in March. So we went to Clemson feeling, I would say, better about where we stood, but not feeling great. Went down there and won on Friday night. You're looking at Saturday and Sunday going, boy, you know, if we could sneak out of here with one more of these and have a mm-hmm. series win at Clemson, we're, we're right back in the middle of this thing. And back and won again on Saturday and then Sunday – we, we got out big early, and it looked like we were going to coast to a sweep, and we blew a six-run lead in the middle innings of that ball game. And, again, it, it's a sign of, and I should have seen it at the time, a sign of the resiliency of this club that they could blow that lead having already won a series and still be tough enough and hang on and win that game in the ninth. And then coming out of that weekend, we really believed, you know what, this, this team's going to uh, – going to right the ship and we're going to go on and we're going to figure out a way to, to sneak ourselves into the NCAA tournament. Dave Harding and David Shumay joining you on the David Glenn Show Duke Day Takeover uh, joined now by head baseball coach Chris Pollard. Coach you, you mentioned all the different firsts and the, the resiliency of this team, the ability to fight back and to achieve certain things that hadn't been achieved in the, in the past. Uh, I remember going back to my playing days with football in 2012, trying to pull the football program out of the basement of, of the ACC and get back into to being relevant. There were certain benchmarks that we were trying to achieve. In the first few years, we couldn't get there. But once we finally reached a level of talent and, and belief, some of those things started to get checked off easier, and you could feel the momentum carry from one season to the next. How, as a coach, do you – try to, to, to maintain that type of energy, that type of mentality. You mentioned your, your leadership group and some of those seniors, they're moving on, but how do you keep that going into the next season and hope to obviously continue to, to check even more off of the list? So much of that, Dave, is about culture, and you guys had a tremendous culture in the locker room there with Duke football, still do. 
guys like Quentin Harris and the leadership they have heading into this season. Culture is the ability from from one year to the next that there are some constant, constant that there are some absolutes, and and those constants and absolutes aren't put in place by the coaching staff. They're they're monitored and managed, and the accountability is set from within the locker room by the the players that are returning. And that's one of the things that we really leaned on in 19 when times got tough. And I know it sounds like a cliche to say, oh, you relied on leadership and culture. But, I mean, that, that's, that's what it is at the end of the day when, when you don't have a lot else to fall back on at times when you hit adversity during the course of a year. So going into this coming season, we know we've got a, a great nucleus back. We, we return a real core terms of seven starting players returning positional players returning we return three out of our four starting pitchers we we return our closer at the back end of the bullpen and several of the key setup guys that were in bullpen roles last year so certainly physically on the field the elements are in place for this team to continue that success and, and and hopefully make that big next step that we haven't been able to make the last two years uh, but at the same time, it's just as much about the intangible piece. It's about the culture, and it's about this group of guys that return here in a couple weeks, setting their bar of excellence at that same high level at the, that these previous two groups have been willing to set that bar. Coach, I want to talk a little bit about one of those guys that is coming back. You mentioned uh, the pitching staff, and, and Bryce Jarvis is, is going to be back. And when, when you look at the postseason, really, the, the pitching staff as a whole, the Morgantown Regional, was just unbelievable. Six total runs allowed. Uh, but Jarvis, in, in his outing uh, against West Virginia, eight innings, you know, personal best in terms of innings and strikeouts with 11. And, and I know you were talking after the game, and, and I was listening to the game. It was a wild atmosphere, and he just went in and shut them down. And then the following week really shut down Vanderbilt, if not for a, an incredible pitching performance from the Commodores, who, of course, went on to win the national championship. Uh, you know, Duke is going to the College World Series. Uh, talk about what you saw from that young man. I mean, stepping up in some big, big-time spots in the postseason. Well, first and foremost, he's got great stuff. You know, he's got two swing and miss off-speed pitches, the slider and his change-up, and a fastball that will touch 92 miles an hour. But on top of that, we, we use a term in baseball called pitchability. He's got uh, arguably the best pitchability of any player that I've ever coached. You know, he, and he gets it honest. His dad was a tremendous pitcher in the major leagues for over a decade, well over a decade. And so, you know, Bryce had the opportunity to kind of grow up in major league clubhouse and, you can tell he has an it factor about him. One of the things I'm most proud of with Bryce, you know, we, we asked him to do so many different things last year because we became so thin on the mound with injury. He was starting early. We asked him to sort of become a hybrid in the middle of the year where he was prepared to start, but he was also prepared to come in and pitch in relief. And it really speaks to, just how selfless he is as a player and, and how much he was willing to put the team in front of his own personal goals to say, look, I'm going to head into each weekend not knowing whether I'm going to start or close or do something in between because I know I've got to be ready at any given moment to come in and help this team solidify a conference series. 
that, that showed me so much about his character and his makeup. It also, I think, just solidified his place as a leader, not only amongst our pitching staff, but across our whole team. And let's not forget, that's a young man who doesn't have to be back this year. He was drafted by the New York Yankees, mm-hmm. had an opportunity to sign and start his professional career. But here's a guy who's pitched in two Super Regionals and is very hungry to be a part of a team that makes that next step. And and, and he put aside, postponed his uh, professional career by a year so he could come back and help this club get to Omaha. And so proud of him. Uh, can't wait to see what's in store for him this year and then obviously beyond at the next level. Chris Pollard joining us on the Duke takeover of the David Glenn Show. Coach, you mentioned being hungry. Uh, David Shoemate is doing his best to get me back to playing (laughs) weight uh, here up in the tower. He brought three boxes of donuts from all over Durham, different vendors or donut shops. We're Uh, celebrating local today. Yes. And last year we did pizza. Uh, this year it's donuts. Uh, I think we digress on a, on the health standpoint, but I got to know your go-to donut order. They've got some of these artsy fartsy ones now. Are you a, a classic, just glazed, or do you do you tra- tend to uh, buck the trend and go with something fancy? So I'm going to show you how boring I am, but I, but I don't eat donuts. Can you believe that? Yes, uh, I can. I've seen you walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got you covered, though. <laughs> My, my breakfast is, uh, is, is, is pretty boring. It's two eggs and Greek yogurt. But uh, I, I, I do know this. My, my wife is a huge fan of Monuts, and she is always bragging about Monuts donuts. So uh, I, I, I know from hearing from her that uh, that's one of many great uh, donut establishments around Durham. And, uh, you know, from the sounds of it, listening to you and Dave talk, maybe I need to mix a donut or two in every once in a while. Well, yeah, I've got to say. maybe we need to mix in some Greek yogurt. <laughs> I've got, you know, Coach, to, to let you know, donuts don't just have to be for breakfast. You can do lunch and dinner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe so that's got... the part I was missing. Doing <laughs> a midday snack, it doesn't matter. And we do have Monuts covered here. Um, I'm Love about it. to dive in once we get to break. <laughs> Uh, Coach, we appreciate it. We know you're busy today. Appreciate you stopping by. Thank you, Coach. That's awesome. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Good luck this fall. Thank you very much. That's Chris Pollard, the head coach of the Duke baseball program. Yeah, he's intense. He is fit. And, uh, yeah, we we might want to take a page out of his book. Once the season starts, a couple egg whites. Next year we'll be comparing Greek yogurt and spinach (laughs) varieties from around the area. Uh, We're going to turn the page to football when we come back. Derek Jones is going to stop by as we get set for the Blue Devils opener in Atlanta against Alabama. We roll on with Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is the David Glenn Show. And welcome back in. It's Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. David Shoemate and Dave Harding with you here from high atop Wallace Wade Stadium as we count you down to kick off 19 days away from the start of the football season for the Blue Devils looking for a seventh bowl game 
and what would be eight years, David. It's really incredible when you put in that perspective, thinking about the arc of the history of the program, uh, but what they've done recently under David Cutcliffe. Yeah, it definitely is, and a lot of that is because Coach Cutcliffe's been able to keep uh, the same staff together for uh, many years, and a lot of people have been here since he first got to Duke. Uh, does a great job of keeping that family nucleus intact including Derek Jones, the associate head coach, who also works with the defensive backs and joins us now. And, uh, Coach, I know you just got off the practice field, but uh, this time of year it gets really busy for you guys. But, but, boy, you've got some talent to work with on the defensive side of the football. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We've got, you know, a lot of talent. We've got some depth. So, and I'm very excited about, you know, what we can do, um, not only right now but in the future. Coach, you had your first scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, and the defense really shined several takeaways and the defensive backs in particular uh, looked really good. Michael Carter leading the way. What do you like from your, your secondary uh, situation this year? A lot of returning players, but uh, a chance to maybe get after some opposing offenses. Yeah, I think the key is what you just said. You know, Michael Carter is the key to the flexibility that we have in the secondary. You know, he's the guy that can play outside. He can play inside and he's got, um, as good a cover skills as anybody that I've had, you know, in my 12 years here. And that enables you to be a lot of things because what offenses like to do is they like to find mismatches. And if they can find one mismatch, it kind of handicaps you in the secondary because now you have to come up with schemes to be able to double a guy or be able to, you know, roll to a guy, whatever it is. It kind of takes you out of what you're doing. And in addition to him, you know, we've got Josh Blackwell, who's coming along. We've got Marquise Waters, who's a veteran guy. And, you know, just a lot of guys that have had playing experience back there, which enable us to be able to go into games confident. You talked about 12 years here and, and how offenses, they, they have a tendency to try to attack those weaknesses. But what have you, and a lot of that doesn't change over time. And we talk about how Duke football and the program has been built because some of the things have been so consistent as a coach, though, in the ACC, what has been the biggest change for you uh, that you've seen that opposing offenses are do doing now to where you've had to adjust maybe your defensive philosophy or the way you coach your position to get guys ready for games on Saturday? I think a lot of people nowadays are uh, more dependent on the pass game. Um, than the run game. You know, everybody's going to spread. You know, everybody's into fast-paced offenses. Everybody's into scoring a lot of points. So that means putting the ball in the air. Whereas when we got here in 2008, it wasn't so much of that. You know, everybody was still trying to run the ball for the most part and control the clock. So, you know, with that evolution, you know, we've had to make changes as far as our end. And what it really boils down to is getting – not necessarily better talent, but enough talented guys to enable us to do that. You know, the one problem you run into in collegiate football is injuries. And you can look really good on paper going into a season, and you can look really good playing a game or two, but if you lose one or two key guys, that changes the entire face of what you're trying to do. It changes your game planning, and it changes your philosophy. So I think what we've had to do is to be able to get enough depth and enough positions and enough guys that are versatile with versatile being the key word to enable us to be able to maintain the same things that we work on. Because when you go through spring ball and you work a certain technique and you work a certain scheme, you know, it's kind of hard during the middle of the season to change that because you lose a guy or two. Coach, it's an interesting thing you bring up with all the offenses going spread and, and going five wide and, and everything like that. You've been around the game for a long time. Just big picture, just curious from your perspective, uh, why do you think the offenses are trending that way? 
you know, I think it's uh, what's popular, you know, from the time yeah. we're all kids, everybody goes with what's popular and you look at it and, you know, this is college football and college football comes prestige. It comes popularity and it comes money. And I think what's happening is you're getting these coaches, offensive coordinators that are putting up big numbers and they're getting head coaching jobs and you're getting these head coaches that are offensive guys and, you know, they're going to championships. So, you know, we live in a copycat society and I think what's working is what people want to do. And that's kind of the evolution of where the game has gotten to. You know, people look at situations and say, well, you know, they're doing it. So if you can't beat them, join them. We're visiting with associate head coach Derek Jones of the Duke football program. And, uh, Coach, when you look at this defense, I think everybody's eyes are to some degree going to be drawn at the start of the season uh, to the linebacker position just simply because Joe Giles Harris and Ben Humphreys have been such a, a big part of this program the last several years leading the linebacking core. If you could just kind of take us through what you've seen from some of the guys who may step into those holes and, and how you think it's going to impact things going into this fall. Yeah, you know, Joe and Ben were, you know, very, very productive players for us. They were both good leaders, and that's a heavy blow any time you lose one guy, much less two guys like that at the same time. But the positive to that is, you know, some of the guys that are playing for us right now are in the room with Joe and Ben, and they were under the leadership of those guys, and they bring the same caliber of athleticism. You know, Joe was a very, very productive guy, and he played a lot of snaps. And, you know, Brandon Hill was kind of right there on his heels, mimicking everything he did. And, you know, now he's in position to be able to step in and do that. And I think what Brandon brings to us, you know, is a speed at the linebacker position, you know, that we haven't had in a long time. And then you slide on. Kobe Quans is a guy that's been battle-tested, and he's a guy that's a physical guy and, you know, has an experience for us. <clears throat> and then when you look at Shocker Hayward, Shocker, in my opinion, may be the most physical specimen of a linebacker that we've had in our entire tenure here. You know, he's a young guy that is inexperienced, but he runs around and he makes a lot of plays that, you know, guys that don't have his physical ability don't make. So I'm excited about, you know, where we can go with that. I think any time you look at a position, having played the game of football and, you know, being in the coaching profession now for 21 years, you know, when you're playing behind somebody, you know, you just kind of sit in that space. But all of a sudden when you get your opportunity, you know it's your opportunity to blossom. You know, when you're playing behind somebody and you get a shot, a lot of times you're looking over your shoulder worried about if I make a mistake, you know, am I going to get pulled out? And, you know, it doesn't enable you to play as fast or as aggressive as you want to play. But when it's your time, you know, it's your position and you're in control. So you get that feeling of leadership. And I think that's what we've seen out of, you know, Brandon Hill and Kobe Kwanzaa in particular. And I've just been very, very pleased with what I've seen, you know, out of Shaka Haywood thus far. You know, we've got depth with Zander Gagnon and Rocky Shelton. So I feel pretty good about the position duke associate head coach and defensive backs coach Derek jones joining us on the duke takeover day coach a lot of uh that depth that you talk about comes from having success on the recruiting trail and you're one of the better coaches in the country at at going out and and making these relationships with uh the young student athletes and, and high schools across america one of the ways, though, I think that, that you've really taken advantage of doing that is through social media. And if you guys don't follow Coach Jones, you've got to get on you know, Twitter at the very least, at Duke Coach DJ. Over 51,000 people have decided to, to follow along uh, to some of your things. But you know, I'm, I'm curious, you, you, you post all sorts of different things, behind-the-scenes type looks. I saw a late night in the defensive meeting room <laughs> the other night with some pizza and wings, all the way down to these inspirational quotes. Uh, how much of an emphasis do you put on, on social media, and what do you think that that does? You talk about the game evolving. That's just the way our society has evolved uh, for building relationships on the recruiting trail now. You know, uh, we live in a social media society right now. 
And more than anything, I think if you're a coach and you're in recruiting, if you're not evolving to that, then you're getting left behind. Social media allows you to be able to make a phone call to 51,000 people at once. Social media allows you to be able to write a note to 51,000 people at once. Social media allows you to be able to put something in the head of not only 51,000, but the other 10,000 that don't want to let people know that they're following you because they're your competition. And I think what that does is you get up and you do it, and for the rest of the day, social media is working for itself. You know, I've been, you know, very, very heavily involved in Twitter for a while now, and, you know, I go places all over the country, whether it's a clinic, whether it's a convention, or whether it's on a recruiting trail, and high school coaches and opposing coaches and everybody alike are like, man, you know, you kill it on Twitter. You know, you, you're grinding, you're doing this, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not really grinding. I'm just consistent. <laughs> you know, I get up in the morning, and I'm just consistent in putting up three or four quotes, and they work for themselves the rest of the day. Anybody in their right for mind that knows what we do for a living knows that we can't live on the phone all day because we have way too many things that are going on. But I think if you have the ability to be able to reach people, uh, you may take advantage of it. And what it does, it shows people your character. It shows people your personality. It shows student athletes, you know, who you are, what you're going to be teaching, how you teach. It shows high school coaches the same thing because they're encouraging their kids to, you know, go under the leadership of somebody that's going to continue to teach them the way that they have. But I think what it does more than anything else, it allows you to have a voice with people even when you don't have a voice. You know, in college recruiting, we have dead periods. We're limited um, as far as when we can contact these guys. And with the early signing day and with everything having moved up, and things moving so fast now. You know, we've got guys coming out of the ninth and 10th grade with double-digit offers. This is a way to be able to contact them or have contact with them when you are technically not supposed to have contact with them. They know who I am oftentimes before I ever know who they are. And, you know, when you hear this, you listen to it, you just have to continue to wake up every day and think of a way to, you know, compete not only with your competition but yourself. The way I look at it is as long as – We've got something out there in the airways with Duke football on it. It's worth doing it. That's why my Twitter name in itself is at Duke Coach DJ, because I want people understanding and knowing that it's Duke football. You know, having come here in 2008, if you know anything about the Duke football program, you know why we put such an emphasis on that, because Duke was associated only with basketball. So now any time that they read anything of mine, they've got to say Duke before it happens. And, you know, we've taken something that wasn't known to a lot of people and made it a very, very popular item on social media. So, I mean, it works for me. Yeah, you do a great job. And I try to take st things. I, I'll wake up with a tweet idea and want to post it, but I can't. It, it pales in comparison to anything. <laughs> Scrolling through the uh, your, your timeline, actually, I see your Twitter feed that the football team on Sunday went to Union Baptist in Durham, a typical uh, camp activity where we go worship with uh, some of our, our neighbors uh, in the Durham community. And the, the team got up, or part of the team got up to sing with the men's choir, and you posted a video, which reminded me of another video I saw on social media of you singing at a, a wedding <laughs> earlier in the summer. Oh, wow. uh, can you give us a, a, a rundown of what happened there? I think it was Jeff Ferris, was it not? Another coach. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, when you spend as much time as we do together, you become family. And ironically, um, that's a song that I sing all the time. I've got a karaoke machine at my house, and I often invite the guys from the staff over to my house to fellowship and have a good time. So I pull it out a lot. Uh, naturally, we're in the locker rooms together. We share showers or whatnot, so I'm always singing. 
And actually, Coach Guerrero was married the weekend before Coach Ferris. And we were just kind of hanging around at Coach Guerrero's reception. And he walked up to me, and he asked me, do I mind singing Tennessee whiskey? So, you know, Coach Guerrero is like my little brother. So, you know, he asked, of course, I obliged. And um, I sung a song, and, you know, whether it sounded good or not, everybody seemed to enjoy it. It sounded great, by the way. <laughs> I was there. It was beautiful. So I'm laying in my bed Sunday morning, and I get a call from Coach Ferris. And, you know, Coach Ferris, uh, I don't think he ever sleeps. So, you know, you get a phone call from him early in the morning. You have no idea what he's wanting. I just assumed that he was calling me, telling me some recruit was about to call me before I woke up, which is difficult for him to do. But he told me that his wife had told him to, uh, well, his fiance at the time had told him to call me and ask me if I would sing that for their first song. And I honestly thought he was joking. I really did. And I was like, you know, are you serious? He's like, yeah, you know, it was going to be our wedding song anyway. Um, she wants you to sing it. And I'm like, hey, man, if that's what she wants, that's what I'll give her. So, you know, we went through with it, and uh, it worked out perfect. And at that point in time, it really didn't matter how it sounded. It just really showed the bond that we have here um, at Duke University. You know, Jeff was one of my players, and, you know, Coach Guerrero was my graduate assistant colleague. Now he's our defensive coordinator. So just one big happy family having a good time. The way I looked at it, even though it was a wedding reception, it was no different than being here in this office with nobody else listening. Well, now I'm interested. So when you fire up that karaoke machine, outside of yourself, obviously, who can really carry a tune? And, and give us a name of someone whose vocal skills are, are a work in progress. Well, what I think is this. I am more of an entertainer than a speak, than a singer. <laughs> <laughs> you, you won't be hearing no albums of mine coming out any time soon. And my songs are always going to be a little pitchy. My songs are always going to be a little <laughs> off note. But if you know me, that's just DJ. But a guy on the staff that can really, really sing is Fred Walker. Fred Walker is a guy that I think if he took up singing full time, he might have a career. And when you talk about a guy that can't hold a note, that better coach football for the rest of his life or find something else to do, it's got to be my other little brother, Raekwon Boyette. Oh, wow. He's awful. <laughs> <laughs> coach, we got about two, three minutes here. Real quick before you go, uh, if you could kind of boil it down to a couple of things that, that you think are going to be keys for Duke, particularly on defense this year, to have success. You know, I think uh, the one thing that you can't control is injuries. Um, so I think that our – depth has to be ready to play and step in you know i think right now we're as good as we've been you know when you look at our ones across the board collectively um but you know we've got some really young guys um with our twos some guys that haven't played some guys that just stepped on campus very talented but very inexperienced at the same time so our guys got to do a really good job not only of preparing themselves on the field, but preparing themselves off the field to enable us to be able to run the same things and enable Coach Guerrero to be as versatile as he, as he needs to be in order for us to compete. And I think the other key thing we've got to do is, you know, we've got to make sure that, you know, as the season goes on, we maintain our strength, we maintain our conditioning. You know, Coach built this program on discipline and conditioning. And when you look at it, you know, we've beaten a lot of teams that may have been more talented than us in the past because we were more conditioned. But each new year brings a different mentality, and it brings a new group, and it brings new people. So, you know, there are guys on our team that, you know, are in the best shape of their lives right now. But if you look at them eight to ten weeks, if they don't maintain that, they could be back to being – you know, in as bad a shape as they've been. So I think we've got to, as coaches, manage that. But more importantly, each individual person on the team knows that they've got to stay on the top of their game as far as a conditioning standpoint to enable us to be able to get through the 12 regular season games and whatever comes to us in the postseason. Well, we're definitely looking forward to it. As we said, we know it's really busy for you this week, but we appreciate you coming on. 
I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Coach. Yep, that's Derek Jones, the associate head coach of the Duke football program, and we'll come back with more of Duke Day on the David Glenn Show in just a moment. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? How does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I, I hope it's not awkward. <laughs> um, you know, I hope it's not like a hand to hug to hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him, no hands. I think he's so. a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. And welcome back to Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. David Shumate and Dave Harding with you as we wrap up hour number one. Got a lot of football talk on deck for hour number two. Also going to visit with Dan Brooks as he's still probably celebrating his seventh national championship for the Duke women's golf program. We're also going to get a little snack in in the second hour. Big guys got to eat, so we got some donuts we're going to work on. But, Dave, we got about 90 seconds here left in the first hour, and you listen to Chris Pollard talk and Derek Jones talk and the thing that jumps out to me is like we can talk about personnel you can talk about schematics all you want to successful coaches it's all about culture and philosophy it feels like yeah absolutely and personality kind of comes from that also both of those coaches tremendous people and uh, to sit down with them to talk to them you can see it right away that they've got something special about them and uh, they bring out the best in other people and can find a way to, to garner trust from someone, and in this case, young players uh, that are coming straight out of high school and find a, 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 and have a unique ability to challenge them to the max, push them to the breaking point, while all the while making them better, trying to make sure that they get better not only as a baseball player, football player, but also as a student, um, while keeping that level of trust. And it's a fine balance, and both of those guys uh, have, have figured it out and do a great job of it. A lot of fun talking to them. Yeah, two of the best in the country at what they do, and, and with you know younger generations these days, the psychological aspect is so important, and those are two of the best, you know, right up there with, with David Cutcliffe and Mike Shishet and you can go right on down the list. The guys that just have extremely high emotional intelligence and, and know how to communicate and deal with people. And a lot of people wonder what's the straight line to winning. A lot of times that is it because that begets trust and that begets talent and that begets wins as the saying goes. But we got a lot to get to as the day moves along. It's Duke Day on the David Glenn Show. Coach Lou Holtz is joining us. What can you tell us about those four seasons in Raleigh? Everybody from North Carolina calling us Boo You and Agriculture You. And I remember walking in the press conference saying, I want everybody in the state to understand agriculture is better than no culture. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. <laughs> 